Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Compound and Friends. It's Tuesday night. We have a great show for you. First things first, Michael and I with another all-new What Are Your Thoughts? We got into earnings. We got into treasury bonds. We got into investor behavior. We did some sector stuff. We picked some fang stocks for uh, the ride into year-end, all kinds of cool stuff. And then after that, I spoke with Jacob Sonnenschein. He's a great writer uh, at Barron's. And Jacob covers a whole ton of stuff, but he wrote something about the crash in Pepsi shares recently. And we've seen all of the consumer staple stocks get hit uh, partially because of interest rates. Remember, they're all dividend payers and they're all competing for capital against risk-free treasuries. But also, a lot of analyst notes about the effect of Ozempic and the GLP-1 uh, inhibitors, all, all at WeGovy, all of the uh, concern that all of a sudden everyone's going to be on these uh, obesity drugs and they're going to stop eating fast food and they're going to stop buying bags of shit at Target and stuffing themselves. I don't think it's going to play out that way. I don't think you're going to see the patient population for these drugs explode in the next 12 months. I, I concede that it's going to be a very big category of drug. I just think the selling in these companies is way overdone. And the other thing to keep in mind is that these companies adapt. So Jacob and I are going to talk about that after. Hope you love the show. And if you do, leave us a rating and review. And we'll see you soon. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Redholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ridholz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. That's my theme song. When you hear that, keep that, keep that playing. When you hear that, when you hear that song, that's when you know we're coming. Right, Mike? Also, when you're watching, that's, that's also how you know. Yeah, well, if you're watching this, of course you know. All right. Welcome to the Compound uh, Show. What is this? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Welcome the to What Are Your Thoughts, thoughts. everybody. Welcome to What Are Your Thoughts, everybody. My name is Josh Brown. I'm here with Michael Batnick, as always. Michael, say hello to the folks. Hello, hello. All right, uh, Duncan is here, John is here, Nicole is here. The whole Duncan Hive is in effect in the chat, I see. Jay Luther's here, Chris Hayes, Drew Hickman, John Carlo is in the house, Akbar Muhammad, what's up, man? Cliff, hey, what's up? Are, what? you watching, are you watching The Golden Bachelor? Uh, yeah, I think, I think she is. I think she is. And, you, and you, you, think you, you think you might be watching too? I think I might one day when I grow <laughs> up become a Golden Bachelor, is what I was going to say. Uh, Sean's in the house, Dr. Horton, Midwest Cannabis, whole squad. Cliff, what's up, man? Nick, who else? MK, Tom Whalen. All right. Uh, we have a lot to get into tonight. It has been quite a week, and it's only Tuesday. Uh, emotions all over the place. Michael, let's do the sponsor real quick, and then we'll uh, get on with the show. One more question. Do you guys also watch Love is Blind? Because that that one slaps. That's Does cool. it? All right. It's, it's I got very it. good. 
I gotta like fit one of those things into my schedule. I'm not watching any of it. It's not. I mean, Robin watches it. And I, it's, I, I, you know, you walk through the, the room. I, I walk through the room, and I, I might actually sit down yeah. for 30 minutes. <laughs> okay, today's show is brought to you by our friends at Public. Uh, did you know? Like, I kind of forgot, but just I, mean, it's I right know here everything. The, it's right on the screen. The current rate on six-month Treasuries is 5.5 percent. It's like Still. nothing. No, it's not nothing. Great. So you could lock it in. It's super easy. It's built on modern rails, not like uh, buying at U.S. Treasury using, dot whatever. Using the, using the public app. Yeah, it's like buying Treasuries Direct. It's like DOS. Remember MS DOS? Yeah. It's like from no, like the nineties, eighties. No, it's, su- it's super. It's super quick. Anytime you log into the app, you can visit with your income. No min uh, holds. No min holds. That's right. And no uh, minimum or, holding periods. Cash. That's right. But auto. But great. the autumn. I like the automatic. Uh, the, roll. the automatic re up. Got to get that re-up on automatic. You can't be like putting calendar invites to yourself. To so here's how your, I do uh, it. Treasuries. Go to public.com slash compound and uh, my account is set up. Should audit deposit. I don't audit deposit, but I should. I got to do that. All right. All right. Josh. Thanks to public. Yes. Oh, You're up. Sorry. I'm up first. Michael, have treasury bonds bottomed? I don't know. Maybe. What do you think? If you had to guess. I'd say, I'd say. I'd yes. say like, I'm, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'd say like 58%. Yes. Yeah. I'm afraid to go um, too hard. Well, just like geopolitically, is it rational for the Fed, other than like a crazy oil spike, which of course hasn't happened yet, certainly could. Like if Iran gets drawn into this somehow, that all bets are off. But the Fed can't do anything about that. So if they're hiking rates because of an oil price spike, they have like lost the plot. Or if, if there isn't one, if there isn't some sort of like commodity uh, panic, can you think of any reasonable... Uh, thing that would make them go again in November. I know, I know the market odds are like 40% still, oh, right? Oh, go again? Or, no, I, no, no, like, no. What you, think, like, what's, even if they need to go again, just save it. Do it Do it later, right? I think I, I think they're done. Um, let's throw this chart on, please. Let's start with the chart. So this is this is the AG or BND, and these are 15-minute bars, what we're looking at. And that's Wednesday in W, and then Thursday. Then we get down on Friday. But buyers, buyers every session, right? And then yeah. Monday and then Tuesday. So Josh- So these are, wait, to be clear, this is the ETF that owns the bonds. It's not interest rates. Interest rates are doing the opposite of this. Yeah, exactly. It's AGG okay. or BND. I think this is BND. Uh, same thing. So this is what a bottoming process, process. is like. Yes, this. just like the stock market pro- bottoming process. It's very, next very chart, similar. Next chart, please. So when Josh said that the stock market was having a bottoming process, it, the, no such thing was processing. It now, was actually the first day of the process. <laughs> Well, think about it. In hindsight, that was last Tuesday. It was the first day of the bottoming process. It's going okay say, so far. I, I'd say Wednesday was. I'd say Wednesday was. Listen, I, I'm telling you, I very much believe both of these two things have to bottom at the same time. Well, so if we fit, don't I mean, right? That's not so far off. So paradoxically, all part of the process. Pa- pa- paradoxically, uh, on Monday it was a risk-off environment in bonds. People yeah. flock to treasuries as they always do, pushing mm-hmm. yields lower, pushing stocks higher. Very odd. Yeah. So what was interesting about Monday? Right, is- right? like risk off, risk off led to risk on. Yes, because the source of the risk is the treasury yield in this right. case. Right. So when you get people flocking to treasury bonds because there's some shit going on, uh, paradoxically, it makes people in stocks feel a little bit calmer. Very interesting situation that we found ourselves in. I do think these things, two things do need to bottom concurrently. 
um, maybe, like not on the same exact day, but within the same vicinity, because I think that most of the risk to stocks is the Fed going too far. I think that's pretty well established and not very controversial statement. Um, so if you believe that we are seeing a stock market bottoming process, or maybe we just saw a bottom and there was no process, however you want to say it, mm. it would be very important to get that same follow through in treasury bonds. And they won't always mimic each other, of course, forever, but I think right now. And here's what's really paradoxical. Um, I wanted to talk about treasury bonds on Friday when we started the doc for tonight's show. And the original title of this segment I had planned was Bond Crash. Uh, but we missed it by a couple of days. So this morning I changed it to Bond's Bottoming. Josh, uh, one, that's one how more thing. fast things can change. One more thing. By the way, yeah, my topics are a little bit stale too because my topics were mostly filled in on Wednesday and Thursday of last week. So, uh, but we'll, well, we'll make it. We're do. not stale. We, we, we had to pivot here because the, the, we might have seen the end of that bond crash that I wanted to talk about. Let's roll some through maturities. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Just before we get to the maturities, this, this is important. And this maturities! Is the, this, is, this is the same, take it easy. This is the same chart. Yields and the US dollar stop. The US dollar has been a wrecking ball. And it's the same thing. It's following yields. Yes. Do we have that? No, I'm just saying. It looks exactly like uh, US dollar is. Is uh, looked like that peaked as well. We'll see. Uh, it's a one month treasury rate, five spot five seven. It looks blow offy. You know, we won't know until we know for sure. This is the proxy of whether or not we're going to see a hike in November, right? Uh, the is one that, month? I thought it was a two year, but same thing. Fine. Well, I mean, this is closer. Uh, yeah. Let's do the one year, five spot three nine. No, no, no real give back in this one. Doesn't need to be. This is the higher for longer, like the one year higher for longer outlook, I guess. Uh, illustrated. Here's the two-year, same thing. So 5% hanging in there. Well, Josh, here's, uh, here's my opinion. You asked if, if treasury bonds uh, have bottomed, slid differently, have yields peaked. I would guess that if that statement is correct, it doesn't mean that you're going to get a rip-roaring bond bull market. No. Right? Like they Rates might have stopped going up, but they could just settle in, which would be, which would be my preference. Well, Let's let's distinguish what rates we're talking about. Are we talking about the long end or the short end of the curve? I could picture the short end of the curve settling in, and the long end um, being be not as volatile as it's been all year, but not exactly sitting still either. Well, I think the so the much uncertainty there. The short end will just be a function of what they say at the next press conference. That's right. Uh, let's do the five year, four spot six eight percent. Not much give back here either. That's a little bit surprising. Uh, let's get to the 10, four spot, seven, two percent. And then let's do the You're 30. saying spot like you're a banker or something. Uh, this is what we say on Wall Street. Four spot, eight, nine percent on the 30 year. And you how know, is Chris calling me? He does every, it's every week. What does he want? Pick it up. Take it on speaker. Put it by the microphone. Chris, Christopher Venn. Hold on. Oh, he can't hear me. Dude. What's wrong with you? Do you do you read lips? Literally. Every Tuesday we record the show at the same exact time. Fired. Bye. All right. <laughs> it would be a mistake for people to to look at um I'm still I'm still echoing. There we go. Sorry. That it would be a mistake fault. for people to look at the action in the bond market this week and conclude that it's solely because of whatever's gone on uh, overseas. Why do you uh, say that? We, because while that's been happening, there's been a concerted effort among Fed speakers 
to mention that they are aware of how much tightening the long bond is doing for them. So uh, Lisa Abramowitz wrote, I thought, a pretty good uh, rundown of this. And we don't have to get into all the detail, but uh, the Fed vice chair, his name is Philip Jefferson, spoke at a conference on Monday. He said, we remain cognizant of the tightening in financial conditions through higher mm-hmm. bond yield. Uh, I, I forget who else, uh, maybe Lori Logan mentioned the same thing. So the Fed has its speakers out in force and they are, it almost looks like they've been given explicit instructions to mention the market tightening, uh, which may be doing some of their job for them. You know, if they're saying like higher for longer, well, that's exactly what that means when you see the long end tightening. Um, just credit availability is going to be tighter. And, uh, you know, that's that's like part of the, the market function. Um, if the Fed is successful in its words, eventually the market catches up. And that's what I think we've seen. So it's not fully a function of geopolitical risk and people uh, or, or, or really, uh, I, I think it's, it's not fully a function of what's going to happen in November. I just think the market is catching up with what the Fed's been saying for a while. It's not fully a function of anything. There's a lot of different inputs into what makes sure. up a yield curve. Sure. And if you have lack of demand to buy those bonds and you have a lot of supply coming, which are other, two other factors. Tons of supply. Right. Uh, CPI is tomorrow. So uh, the Cleveland Fed has uh, this thing now casting. They currently see inflation for September of 2023, which is the number we'll get tomorrow, Wednesday morning, coming in at 0.39%. For the month, and that's month over month headline CPI, 0.36% for core, which strips out food and energy, which are more volatile. And that would translate to a 3.7% annual rate for headline CPI and a 4.2% rate for core CPI. Um, If that holds, that would continue the recent trend of headline inflation uh, accelerating while core inflation cools, which is kind of a weird- Hey, let me uh, ask you a question. Did Did we already have a soft landing? And then we can, but but we could also still be heading into a recession. Like in other words, the jobs report that we had in September was 330,000 jobs added and the monthly wage gain was like pretty, pretty modest. It was like 0.2%. So you still yeah. have a pretty robust economy with wage growth cooling off and uh, yeah, you got, prices you cooling got, off. You got, a gold, you got a Goldilocks report is the way to phrase that. Yeah. So I'm not saying that we're going to be in this forever that they were like, oh, it's, we're in the clear. It's all good. Like we still might be heading towards a recession. But is it also possible that that we got the soft landing? I mean, if tomorrow is a red hot, if tomorrow is a red hot number, everything we just said about bonds might be up in the air. It's so difficult because we. It, by the way, the market the market can overreact and then reverse itself. We saw yes. that after the last jobs report, so that could happen too. One thing I want to mention here, and I'm curious if you would agree with this, I want people to stop telling me how smart the bond market is. No one and nothing on earth has been more wrong over the last 18 months than the 30-year treasury. It's taken the 30-year treasury 18 full months to catch up to the reality. It has been so far behind the Fed's rhetoric, the Fed's actual rate hikes, the two-year treasury. This crash in long-dated treasuries, not just since the pandemic, but even in the last two or three months, is is really breathtaking. Uh, it was a piece in Bloomberg talking about it's one of the most destructive financial crashes ever. Yeah. So let me share this with you. Since March of 2020, treasury bonds with maturities of 10, of 10 years or more 
have plummeted 46%. That's just oh under the losses seen in the stock market when the dot-com bubble burst. Wild. The bond route is worse than the one seen in 1981, back when the 10-year yielded 16%. So we're talking about just a mega, mega crash. Don't tell me that's the smart money. The, the, the long end of the curve has just been either in complete denial um, or fast asleep or some combination of the two. What are your thoughts? I have two thoughts. One, I think it could be, I think it could just be structural. The, you know, the Fed stepping away from buying all those bonds and the treasury continuing to issue them. I saw a chart that showed the first nine months of the year, we had more issuance than any year in the last two decades outside of 2020 for obvious reasons. There's a ton of supply coming on. Japan is not bought, buying to the degree that they did. So I don't know if the bond market is stupid. I don't know how you explain the the the. They the, said they were going to stop buying. Like, I don't know how like you explain scheduled. the reverse crash. Like I don't know why it's spiking all of a sudden. That part is odd to me. When I think about people say the bond market is a smart money, what I what what that means to me is that if you're talking about the the health of a business, don't care about the, don't worry about the price of the stock. The bond traders, the bond investors, they really know what's going on because they're balance sheet guys. They're looking at covenants and all sorts of shit. Stock guys are kind of like, you know, the 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 stock jockey idiots. Like that's yeah. what it means to me. Do you, does, does, am I right about that? Well, no. It, yes. Initially, that's what we're taught. And actually, even the stock guys would say, to, to your point, would say, if you don't like the bond, you can't like the equity. Right. Meaning you could like the bond and not like the equity. Verizon would be a great example of that right? Bonds are ironclad. Uh, look how much debt they're able to sell. One of the most indebted companies in, uh, yeah, in, in the words, world. In other words, if you want to talk about a Verizon, I'd rather talk to the bond guy than the stock guy. That's right. That's right. So if you don't like the bonds, you can't like the stock if you're an investor. So yes, to your point, that that is what we're taught initially. But that that over the years, that rhetoric about the bond market being the smart money has changed right. to mean like the macro guys know better than yes. the equity stock jockey guys. Yeah, and, and that I don't It's apply. wrong. We're all guessing. <laughs> It's wrong. Um, uh, let's do the Bianco tweet. This is interesting to me. How much money has been incinerated mm, in, uh, in bond ETFs? So this is showing, uh, where is this tweet? Okay. Uh, as the price cut has collapsed, 46%, uh, again, since 2020, this is wild. This is TLT, by the way. Uh, $34.36 billion of money has flowed in. Cumulative? Uh, cumulative. So this is like the opposite I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago that uh, people are like running into the fire, uh, which makes sense because they've got their fire suit. They've got their hazmat suits on, right? Like they know that this is just math, right? It's not like you're averaging down into a stock that could be a company that could be going out of business. The United States Treasury is not going out of business. Now, Put that back up. now Put it, that might back take up. You, it might take you years to get your money back if you were early, but it, I think this is rational behavior. Let me say something. This does not happen in stocks. Well, that would never. Would never happen. Never. What we're what we're looking at is cumulative inflows of thirty four billion dollars into an ETF that's gotten cut in half. Wait, actually, Josh, since, but it did, since, it did, since the summer of twenty twenty. It did happen with Arc, not to this extent, but it actually did happen with Arc for like two months. This is on. Okay, but for two months, I'm talking about this is three years, almost three full. It's more. It's more than three years of. I would say almost uninterrupted drawdowns for the ETF and but the, the flow, inflows Josh, but the are flows, going parabolically but, higher. But the flow started really in March of 22. So it's been a year and a half of people stampeding in. I'm just making to, yeah. the point. You will not see any active manager 
any sector uh, index ETF, nothing. Um, and I think I think there's a lot of uh, portfolio uh, rebalancing and and uh, asset allocation to explain that chart. If there if there's somebody who's using TLT as their like disaster hedge in a portfolio and it's supposed to be five percent, they're never giving it up. They're using it as insurance. And actually, if you're in a thirty percent drawdown in TLT and you don't keep buying, you're admitting to the client that you're a moron. So that persistence of flows, I think, it can as easily be explained by allocation as it can by like the the principal agency uh, principal the, agent problem. There's two more things. Number one, it's a stair step. It's a grind lower. It's not like where the stock market eventually That's goes true. down twenty and then it just crashes or the bottom falls out. That doesn't. That has not happened with bonds. It's been painful. No, but that. But the other part is nobody's retirement is riding on TLT. Right, like people have legitimately 80 percent of their money in the stock market, and so they just—it's too much risk, and they get scared. Realistically, what is TLT in somebody's portfolio? Five percent, maybe ten percent. Yeah, no, nobody. No. Go, I mean, nobody seriously goes crazy with that. Right. That is your—that is like literally your crash hedge. And also, and unlike stocks, as interest rates go higher, price goes lower, it becomes more attractive, not less attractive, like mathematically. So I is think it's crash. Is it's it bad rational. if I want to buy the snot out of it right now? No, I mean, I I, I tried. I bought TMF and I sold it quickly because I was on that was leverage. But no, not at all. I, I think you, you ain't really it. built for this. I think you could buy it here with the understanding that this might not be the bottom. If you can't stand a, a little bit more drawdown, then don't buy it. But I think I think you will be it will be you will look good if you could buy this and hold this for a couple of years. All right, I let's think talk. So too. Let's talk about we we've spent a long time talking about so many reasons why higher interest rates haven't filtered through to the economy. And we've said ad nauseum that these companies were just gorging on debt during the pandemic as they had to. And so there's a great chart. Uh, I don't know where this is from. I saw it on uh, somebody tweeted it. The Daily Shot. Uh, okay. So look at investment grade corporate issuance on the top pane and mm -hmm. on the bottom high yield. Now, as rates rocketed higher, they're, not that high yield issuance went to zero. It didn't. Um but it definitely been cut by two thirds. It's been cut yeah, by two thirds. Yeah, it, it went down a lot. So what's another like uh, thing? But can we that give you, Can we give people the the numbers here? So it so it looks like the peak of issuance was early 2020, which makes sense to counteract the pandemic. Companies that could raise cash did. Investment grade companies raised it looks like 300 billion dollars in a month. Yeah, um, and then 280 billion the next month. Uh, High yield issuers, so so companies with bonds that are priced at junk, were selling about in that same period of time. We're selling about 50, 60 billion worth of bonds. So that like is this. now cooled off to about fifty billion for the investment grade, and it looks like ten billion for junk issuers. So almost nobody is selling bond corporate bonds right now. So think about this: uh, the top chart. Let's just say Microsoft. I remember very clearly when Microsoft raised. Uh, they, they sold debt. It was like 10 years and it was like, I really think it was under 3%. I think it was like 2.6% or something like that. That's, it's like a kind of like a reverse arbitrage. I'm probably not using that properly, but they borrowed at 2.6 and now they can get like 5.6 on their cash. So they're- Wait, wait what do you mean? What do you mean reverse arbitrage? Explain, explain what you mean by that. They borrowed at 2.6 and they can now put that money to work at 5.6. Okay, not a reverse arbitrage, an arbitrage. So so their net interest cost, and we shared this chart um, a couple months ago from SockGen, the net interest expense for a lot of these companies has come down as rates have gone up. By the way, I heard you try to I heard you try to push back on the ETF guy 
M-U-S-Q, the music ETF guy. Yeah. He's saying it's an acronym. What does it stand for? He's like, nothing. Thank Not you. an acronym. I mean, no disrespect. <laughs> no disrespect, but you were he right. He was great, but thank you. Thank you should have stuck to your guns no, a little bit. I don't, I don't have should, guns. You, sh- you should have said, sir, the M has to stand for a different word. That's what makes it an acronym. He had me second guessing the meaning of acronym. It's a ticker so, symbol. It's not so, an acronym. So right. So we spoke. Uh, we spoke. Like 2022 was so weird that the the, the what the worst bond bear markets of all time, and yet junk bonds actually destroy treasuries. That shouldn't happen. Well, Wait. put the shit up. This is crazy. So this is. Oh! <laughs> this this is triple C. Oh, this is triple C corporates are. Positive. What? What's the time? This is year to date. This is this is year to date. Yeah. Positive four and a half percent. This total return. This is the index price. Yeah. Because again, we we spoke and then triple A bonds negative negative eight. And it's f- out of here. It's only duration. <laughs> it's only duration. So it's three years right, for the right. junk, ten years for the for the A's. Fair. Uh, fair and fair. there's still no stress in the credit market. Like this is not, this should not be. You, should not be. With, uh, chart back on. Five hundred and fifty basis points of tightening. In a year and a half, and this is this is junk versus triple A. Come on, Come this on. is uh, this is like this is like Willy Wonka times we're living in. I don't even know how to explain this. Chart off. How do you All explain right. this? This duration. I, well, that's it. I mean, I, I I can explain it. It's very simple, but I can't wrap my arms around it. Duncan's telling me to back up from the mic. I think I'm going to get closer. All right. Uh, what of which of the magnificent seven stocks would you, if you had to pick just one? To ride into the sunset when uh, when uh, the year comes to an end and and we're starting from right now, I want to give you what these stocks have done so far year to date. Okay. Apple up thirty eight percent, Microsoft same, Alphabet up fifty seven percent, Amazon up fifty three percent, Nvidia up two ten. Wow, two ten. Tesla up one ten. I didn't even realize that Tesla's up one hundred and ten percent this year. Uh, Meta up 164%. You could pick one, and we're going to scroll through uh, all seven of these charts. Do you want a little bit of time to think about it, or are you ready to give me your answer immediately? I have an answer, but how about we, can we do process of elimination? Can we start backwards and say what we don't want to invest in, and then let's Absolutely. leave the winner? Whatever, however you're I, – I just think you have such a beautiful mind. Like however it works, however the gears turn, that's what we're all here for. You know, <laughs> you, you know, uh, you know. I'm not gonna say anything. Char- uh, Look let's at go. you. You're, blu- you're blushing. You do have a beautiful mind. Go ahead. What's your what's ticker your, on? Walk us through. Ticker on. Tickers on. Is right. Apple? Sh- 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 sh. Uh, wait, John. Go back to the chart, please. Just with the with the with the names. Just with the names. All right. So I'm gonna cross off with the red line, Tesla. Uh, not because I'm bearish. I just feel like out of all the companies. Probably this and NVIDIA have the most idiosyncratic risk where it's just really beholden to whatever is in like the headlines for these individual names. So I'm going to, I'm going to whack Tesla first. I want and no NVIDIA. part of Tesla. Are you whacking NVIDIA? Uh, no. Did you see it today? I did. The thing is on its horse. So, all right. So Tesla has a red marker through it. The next stock that I'm going to red marker is, uh, Microsoft. Hold on a sec. Hold, hold on. I got to interrupt you. James Sykes in the chat, uh, Josh might actually be Batnick's dad. Can we do the math? I'll do the math for you. He's eight years younger than me. <laughs> Relax. All right, continue. Okay, next. So listen, these are all great companies. I mean, needless to say, the next one I'm going to go with Microsoft and why? I listen to the market. And Microsoft has the weakest looking chart 
out of all these names. Actually, Microsoft and then Amazon. Amazon also doesn't look great. So Microsoft, Redline, Amazon, Redline. So you're going on technicals also. For the next two. And then Apple, I just, uh, Apple looks like junk too. I'm going to Redline Apple. Not junk. It just doesn't look great. Uh, so that leaves me with NVIDIA, Google, and Facebook. Okay. I think uh, NVIDIA traded fairly poorly after its earnings release last last quarter where they smashed expectations. We're going to get to yeah. that later. So they yeah. opened up like 10% and closed at the low of the day. But ever since then, it's traded beautifully. It's consolidated the, the, the gains. It's holding. It's not going, not even getting anywhere near the first quarter, the second quarter gap, not even getting anywhere near it. Uh, that being said, NVIDIA, cross off. So that leaves two. Google and Meta, which are the two best looking of the bunch. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to redline Meta and I'm going to stick with Google, the king. Uh, it just looks the best. So, so, in, fun, so conclude, on, a te- on a technical basis, you like the, the alphabet does have the best chart right now. To conclude, it's Google, Facebook, NVIDIA, Apple, you have to pick, you have to Amazon, pick or- Microsoft, Tesla. I don't mind you calling it Google when it's really Alphabet. What did I, did the, I do both? That's the ticker. But you can't do Facebook and Meta interchangeably uh, three times. In I don't say sentences. Meta. Do I say Meta? Maybe you I do. Just did. Who you, knows? Like maybe I you do. Gotta pick, you got to pick. Maybe one. I do. All right. Okay. For those, my final answer: Google, Facebook, Nvidia, You're Apple, Amazon, that's, Microsoft, that's Tesla. Bold. That's bold. I don't think I could do that. Um, right, well, what's your one? I could probably pick my bottom, my top. Uh, Let's get th- let's get through these charts really quickly. Apple, please. Okay, uh, this lo- this looks this looks dead money ish. That could That's change fine. on a dime. By it the way, just- we've got earnings coming up. We've got earnings, so so 100%. that will change it. Hundred percent. These stocks going to move. Um, Apple's actually supposed to have an earnings increase, and uh, remember, they uh, are going to get uh, I think two weeks of the new phone in this quarter that they're about to report. Right, came out mid September. Well, that so, would definitely give us visibility into how, how it went. All right, next. Microsoft and Apple have almost the same chart yeah. and nothing wrong with it. These stocks have been incredible this year. It's fine, uh, yeah. I just don't see anything here uh, particularly exciting. Next chart. Now, this is what I'm about. Yeah, it's a one. I, I hang with winners. Like this, this is, why is this making a new high? We'll find out 10, 10 or 15% from now. You know what I mean? But uh, I, I, I really think that Alphabet, between now and the end of the year, I can't think of any negative catalyst that's hanging over its head. Uh, YouTube is just absolutely on fire. And I just, I, I, the Waymo news that's coming out of the other bet segment, Waymo is eating Cruz's lunch in San Francisco. There's a wait list to use their robo-taxis in the city. Uh, they just, they seem to have like, a lot of momentum on the AI front too, based so on everything a, that I, not an expert, but based on everything me, I read. Yeah, that's, so that, for me, that's the one. Let's go through the other ones real quick. Here's Amazon. I own this too. I'm not looking for anything great from it. I think uh, one possible reason why Amazon's going to surprise the upside when they report is that AWS will not be as slow as what people are expecting. I think the consensus is for like 12 or 13% growth. And I think they can beat that, but not by much, but it might just be good enough. I wonder, I that's also, good, I wonder is a cloud recession over? Because AWS, last time it reported, it was definitely an overhang. Last two times, actually. Yeah, so everyone is hoping for a reacceleration into 24. The other thing I would say on Amazon is that um, they have now recognized, and I think said publicly, 
that they see uh, what everyone else sees, which is diminishing returns on getting the thing faster to people. That is just massive costs. And I think they're going to slow down with that. And I think that could produce an upside surprise here. Dude, I like, ordered- Like, I don't need it two seconds after I order it. Like, I ordered- to calm down. I ordered Robin a pair of AirPods because I guess there's a sale. It was like 90 bucks. They come 15 minutes later? I ordered at uh, 11 o'clock and I, I, it said it'll be here by five. Like, <laughs> ah, I don't even need it by five, but I'll okay. take it. So, th so they, have, they have talked about there being a diminishing return on pushing that even further. And uh, if, if, if in fact they've throttled back, that could produce an, a potential upside surprise. But I'm not crazy bullish on that by the end of the year. Next chart, what else do we have left? Here's NVIDIA. I mean, you just know this thing is going to end the year at 550, right? Just because nobody thinks it can. Well, Josh, it who's, to. who's selling NVIDIA? That's a thing. You know what I mean? Like, unless they really fail to deliver on yeah, the next earnings call. Yeah, they have to have a horrendous Q3. Which I feel like is unlikely given all of the momentum Think about it's back. I, yeah. I mean, I listen, it's very hard for me to picture. That being said, I, I did sell some earlier this summer just because the, the gain was stupid and I had to take something off the table. Good but I you. didn't sell much. I sold a quarter of my position and- uh, um, for better or for worse, I'm still here. Next chart, Tesla. You know, the, <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. Next chart. <laughs> uh, by the way, never listen to me on Tesla in either direction. This is Meta. Uh, stock is 321. It looks incredible. It's not it's giving anything back. It's unbelievable. No, it's going to challenge the July high faster than any of the other names in this group other than Alphabet. It trades more closely with Alphabet. Than the other names, which makes sense. They're both advertising uh, businesses. Uh, if if Alphabet works, I think I think uh, I think Meta works. The new narrative on Meta, obviously the wearables, but also uh, allegedly they are kicking the shit out of everyone with Reels. That's great. Uh, Reels has become an absolute juggernaut. Nobody is talking about TikTok anymore. Um, so that, that stock is just, and I've been wrong on that too. That stock is just working. So to I, conclude, I think the risk to meta and Facebook, I'm sorry, to meta and Google is, uh, advertised, which we haven't spoken about, which is the here's my top three. Wait, wait, here's my top three. I want to say alphabet one. That's the one I want. Uh, it's a 20, it's 20 times next year's earnings. Like you're really not asking a lot for that stock to go higher. Yeah, but here. we're talking about the next 50 days, right? Talking about the I understand. I understand, yeah. but I'm just saying like, I, I, I feel like you're not asking a lot. Uh, I would say Meta two, Nvidia three. All right, so we Those agree. Would be, we're one, two, and three. We're we're perfect, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, we're so wrong. Now, we're gonna be so, if, gonna be if, so you, wrong. if you asked me for the next year, I probably would have a different list. But for the next fifty days, I'm going with momentum. If you and I agree, are we both consensus? Probably. Right. We're a consensus. Yeah, we're, pick, we're picking the best stocks. We are so consensus. All right, take it away. Uh, all right, where are we going next? We're going to, oh, okay. So this is an example of something that that has aged. Uh, interestingly, considering that this is this topic is six days old and things have changed. Uh, all right. Chart on, please. The level of excessive pessimism is now below what was registered at the December 22 and March 23 lows. Wow. Based on Ned Davis Research Daily Trading Sentiment Composite. Uh, kind of interesting, huh? Who now, said this? I, with sentiment this, indicators, we go with the flow until it reaches an extreme and reverses. Yeah, I don't so know. You wait for it after that. I don't know what the inputs are here, but interesting that this was again this tweet. Hold on, what day was this? This was I saw this on October fourth. So 
Today's October 10th. So a week ago was, uh, uh, whatever. Who cares? I can't do the math. It was, it was, one of the day, it was one of the days last week. We also saw one of the reasons perhaps why there was such a crazy uh, a rally yesterday is because stocks didn't go the way that you might have thought. Now, I don't know so, how so, much- uh, Rachel's in the chat asking, how do you define excessive pessimism? Like, where, like mathematically, there's a, there's a level at which it's historically extreme. I think that's what we're saying. This is definitely not historically extreme, not even close. I would just say- Right. Well, uh, we, have some other chart, we have some other charts coming up that are historically extreme. Well, so, so this is interesting. So, so, so CTA positioning is- I think I put this in the doc also somewhere else. Okay. It's, this, it's, this, this was wow. So this is bear. So these, these again, I don't, I don't know how much this money is responsible for moving the markets around. I just no, don't. It's, it's not that big. I just don't. It could be a drop in the bucket, but nevertheless- I Can you explain is, what CTA positioning is? This is in the S and P futures contract. Yes. Yeah. So these are these, these are, are commodity traders. So these are professional. These are professional traders. Trend. These are these are trend followers, CTAs, people that are are trading the futures. And what this is showing is their, I guess, bullish positioning in no, bearish. SP, uh, excuse me, bearish positioning in S in SPX. They are they are extremely negatively positioned in S&P futures. And the closest you get looks like it's a, this year, looks like it's right around March during the Silicon Valley Bank debacle. Yeah. So so I don't know, again, if, if they need to cover and get long, I don't know how much that can feed a rally. Uh, again, could, I just be bulls to, using, could be bulls using futures to hedge. You want to be whatever. really careful with reading yeah. too much into this. Yeah. I agree with um, you. But there was some interesting stuff that came out last week. So you saw uh, the number of 52-week lows in the S&P was at the highest level since uh, the fall of last year, which is in and of itself, it's, it's not a bad thing at all. It's just like, uh, you know, it's normal. It's normal. We had to sell well, If you're an yeah. investor, you look at that and say, great, I'm buying, you know, I'm buying stocks way off, many, many stocks off of their highs. This it, is interesting. You know. Bespoke tweeted, the S&P 500 has made a lower low on 33 of the last 50 trading days. That's tied for the most in the ETF's history. Remember the other week I was talking about how there was like, not, this is from Sentiment Trader, nine consecutive yeah. lower lows. So yeah. this is just zooming out. 33 of the last 50 trading days, the most in the ETF's history. Very interesting. And this is just, I don't know, maybe it's just seasonality. I don't, I don't know. Well, there've been a lot of the afternoon give ups in, in the S&P too. Like that's been, that's been like a, uh, a ubiquitous, feature of trading this fall is no matter how the market opens, there've been a lot of those late day, like three to four o'clock sell-offs. And, you know, it's just, it's just been that kind of environment. There really hasn't been much to look forward to because we were out of earnings season and, you know, we were facing the specter of yet another rate hike and the data was coming in lukewarm to hot and bonds were, bonds were uh, going crazy. So that's, that's the environment we've been in. Did you see Josh, the Savita? We, I didn't. I didn't take this chart. Did you see the Savita chart? Which uh, one? You know, she follows the um, she follows the portfolio recommendations of Wall Street and then quantifies it, and she uses it as a uh, she uses it as like a um, as a reverse indicator. So so when uh, allocations you know north of sixty percent equities become more popular on Wall Street, she wants to go the other way and fade that and vice versa. Okay. So she she put something out this morning 
we're back down to very pessimistic territory amongst Wall Street strategists in terms of how much they're saying to allocate to equities versus bonds. And yeah. she says that's a 95% hit rate that you'll have gains 12 months out when we get to these levels of pessimism. So I thought that was interesting. 90% I, hit rate, I that's good. I the chart, I forgot. So Josh, we, we, we started the year talking about uh, positioning. And positioning. That's how, that's how I want yeah. to end the year. So did you know the NASDAQ is up 39% of the year? The S&P is up 15%. Absent bad market-related news, such as we get a really weak earnings season, we get some hot inf inflation prints, sure, could happen. People are going to chase. That's what they talk, do. So we're going to talk about earnings season now. Um, I would do you just agree say, with that? Yeah. I, no, of course. I think there's still career risk uh, in the active crowd. Listen, we just like five seconds ago ran through the gains of the seven biggest stocks in the market. They're ludicrous. <laughs> they're up. They're up a hundred percent, two hundred percent. It's that's that mentality stays with you. Now the question is, the biggest is, stocks force you to chase them. If they have to chase, what are they chasing? I think they're going to chase these. Honestly, what, what I mean is, there another seven stocks that can catch these seven? Honestly, like I guess some there are some software catch names. no. Are there are there are there another group of names that could have a uh, yeah? That could there's a second the layer. Days? Absolutely. There's Absolutely. a second layer. There's Salesforce. There's Adobe. You need like a, a three four hundred billion dollar stock if you're going to chase a two trillion dollar stock, but not own it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they they exist. By the way, I don't know if you've looked at the security stocks lately. They look amazing. CrowdStrike made a fifty two week high today. Uh, there's, there's a whole layer Palo of tech Alpha stocks. Networks yep. looks mean. Yep. There's a whole layer of not mid caps, just not mega caps, so large cap technology stocks beneath this layer of Magnificent Seven. And I think you have other choices, quite frankly. All right, let's do earnings. So we'll start with tech. Analysts actually have increased their earnings forecasts for the reports we're about to get. We're about to get Q3 earnings, and it started technically it started today with Pepsi. Uh, so out of 38 companies, in the S&P tech sector, seven uh, have had increased earnings outlooks, and those include Applied Materials and Apple. Uh, tech as a sector saw the third highest increase in earnings appraisal since the start of the quarter, according to Investment Business Daily. Um, communication sector had the fourth highest, and so that's Meta, and that's, that's uh, Alphabet. Those are the two stocks that account for most of and And when I say... Uh, a 4.1% hike in predictions. That's since June 30th. So since the end of last quarter, just for, for people following along. Um, where are estimates lower uh, since, since June 30th? Materials, industrials, and healthcare, all down since uh, the start of the quarter. Consumer discretionary, 22% uh, earnings growth expected, up from 12.5% on June 30th. That's wild. that's a that's a big jump, and that's Tesla. What else is in? What else is large in consumer discretionary? Amazon. I think they're like Amazon. The Probably Home Depot, yeah. Lowe's. Yep. Okay, that was the sector with the highest increase in analyst expectations. Energy, energy stocks were the best stocks in uh, Q3. By the way, estimates for the energy sector um, are actually supposed to drop thirty-seven point seven percent, but that's better. Than the forty-one percent drop that analysts had been looking for at the start of the quarter. What the hell is going on there? Is it just like impossible comps? I don't get it. Yeah, it's just commodity volatility. That's. I mean, 
That's that's really all it is. Um, banks are going to come first. We'll get some banks this Friday. Analysts are looking for a a twelve percent earnings growth number this quarter, which is weird because those stocks look like shit. All of them, uh, all of them have been looking pretty crashy, save for uh, J.P. Morgan in recent oh, weeks. They look awful. Awful. One looks worse than the next. Um, we're going to get on Friday. You ready for this? J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citi, BlackRock, and PNC in three days. <laughs> These look so bad. I'm just going through Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citi. I mean, Goldman looks trashy. Uh, region, but, all right. But, but we're, again, we're supposed to see earnings growth. You know why? The absolute level of interest rates. That's all that really, ma- honestly, to earnings, not to stock prices. That's really all that matters. The absolute level of interest rates is pretty much like what what ends up contributing to earnings for these companies at this point, absent there being any real strength in capital markets. I know we had a couple of big IPOs, and I know money was made on the selling of those IPOs. They're all trash, by the way, if you take a look at like Instacart since it went public. Um, but it's just not been a great not been a great environment for capital markets. So it's going to come down to the absolute level of interest rates and. From that perspective, that's why J.P. Morgan is hanging in there better than the others. Um, the regional banks are expected to see their earnings fall 15%. That is such, a, that is such an open sewer, that, that segment of the market. I can't even punch those tickers up. They, they look, look really so bad. bad. Yep. Uh, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. State Street Global Advisors um, was talking about earnings expectations were too low in the first half which is why quarter after quarter, you're seeing 73, 75% of companies beating and the revisions were worse than the reality. But now they're saying it could have, it might've gone the other way. The expectations are high and getting higher. So according to FactSet, calendar year 2023 earnings uh, based on the consensus right now are expected to grow by 1.1%. And that includes a drop of 2% in the books for Q1 and then a drop of 4.1% in Q2, again, in the books, which means you're going to need a lot out of uh, third and fourth quarter to counteract that. Um, analysts are analysts are forecasting that Q4 will be 8.3% growth, and then they think 2024 forecasts currently are at 12.1% growth. So that's a lot, and I don't really know what the source of that optimism is. And so to State Street's point, we might be asking a lot of the future um, if, if those are the expectations. I want to throw this forward P.E. ratio up. John, thank you. So, and this comes from State Street Global Advisors. They're just looking at the forward P.E. And what you could see here, we're about 20. I think it's 19 in real life right now. We're kind of in a no man's land. Like it's, it's, it's not crazy high, certainly not 2021, but it's also not necessarily cheap. And that's a pretty tough place to be. Earnings are down this year. So all of the market gains that we've experienced have come from multiple expansion. The good news is that what usually happens after double digit um, multiple expansion, uh, what what typically happens after multiple expansion is you do get double digit earnings growth eventually. So maybe that's the thing that the market has right. and and, And then those 20, 24 estimates make sense. What do you think? Uh, well, margins are the thing. Yep. Margins are the thing. So Goldman just, I saw this today. They think that margins for most sectors will remain near their 10-year highs 
Really remarkable that margins are still doing what they're doing. They're down a little, but not a ton. So chart on, please. So you've got tech communication services uh, right at their highs, S&P 2. Uh, materials is at the average, energy a little bit below. Uh, the only thing that's actually, that has not seen uh, margins accelerate is healthcare for reasons that are not clear to me. But Regu- uh, why, why aren't healthcare margins up? Yeah. They have like huge government issues with coverage of drugs. It's a, it's a massive issue. Like, have and you looked at Bristol Myers and Pfizer? Uh, they're, just, they're, not, they're just crashing. Yeah. Well, the the so what happened with the IRA? What what happened with the Inflation Reduction Act? One of the things in the Inflation Reduction Act makes it so drug companies have a shorter window in which to make money before their drugs um, can be can be copied by the generics. Um, and that, that's tough situation. And we think that's consumer friendly until you realize, wait a minute, all they're going to do is jack up their prices in the first four years or five years. If like, if they used to have eight years and now they have five, what do you think their price is going to look like in the first five? So it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough sector from, from, uh, from, from that perspective. And it's been tough for a while. No, it's not crashing. United healthcare. Well, obviously. United Healthcare is the devil. You know that, right? Okay, okay, next chart, please. So this is from the Great Warren Pies. This is is an amazing chart. So the blue line on top is 2023 margin estimates throughout 2022, okay? So go back last year. That's what they expected margin uh, to be across the year. Interestingly, in 2023, Projections for 2024 margins, which is the purple line, actually analysts are starting to boost estimates again. I think it's worth pointing out like how incredible margins have been and profit margin mean reversion has been on the tongue of every bear for the last, I don't know, 12 years straight. It's always the thing that's about to happen. It never seems to happen. And just to give people a little bit of perspective, Corporate profit margins in the year 2000 were 7%. What are they now, 14? They were 13% in 2021 when they peaked. 2021 was like the most profitable year ever because nobody had to actually show up to work and it was business as usual uh, for most of for most of the, the country. Um, the estimates for a third quarter net profit margin for the S&P 500 is supposed to come in at 11.7%. So if that's as bad as it gets, it's pretty damn good. It's above last quarter, and it's and it's above the five year average. Hey, so, Josh, last last quarter when we were doing their earnings stuff, I remember saying I'm really excited to see how this earnings season is going to go, particularly with the stocks that have done really well. In Q Q two, stocks were on fire, right? Going into going into. I feel like that's a thing you say every quarter, and it's the right thing to say. What I'm excited to see what stocks do. No, like after you see what stocks do, it's like all right, are the earnings going to back this up? It's like, well, I agree, and, I agree and so, with that. So, so we know what happened. Next chart, please, from Warren Pies. So stocks that missed estimates, these are more the junky stocks. They did incredibly well, incredibly Crazy. well going into earnings season. Stocks that beat did a little bit less well. And then both of them, both the ones that beat and missed, sold off after earnings. Because again, market had a great run. That's not the setup for this time. So actually- Stocks that beat, I'm expecting them to do really well. Leave this chart up. This is so good. Are you with me? Yeah, this is such a, this is such a great chart. So this is Warren. This is Warren. Okay. So 
you think about the first half of the summer, like into the into the end of July, companies just got so much credit ahead of time, right? And then the number is reported, and it it doesn't matter what the number was, everything went down because of of how big of a rally was staged in May, June, and July. It was like a three-month free-for-all, and then we paid for that on the back of the actual reports coming out. This so is, going, this is an go, awesome chart. So going into going into day zero, which is when, when all these companies reported, yeah. so when the market peaked in July of 2018, the NASDAQ was up 45% of the year, the NASDAQ 100, and the S&P was up 20% of the year. That was like the, the best first seven months to a year, I don't know, in a long, long time, maybe ever. And so, okay, but think about what we've done since those earnings. It's just we've we've gone sideways. The market has done really, really nicely. Yeah. No, it's true. All right. Uh, what, do, what do you got last? All right. Last chart. Oh, I want to talk about relative strength. Uh, chart, uh, we could skip this. Um, all right. So, again, last week, as the market was selling off before the bottoming process, before the bottoming process, I was thinking, hey, you know what? There are still some stocks that are working. Google was one of those stocks. There are still a lot of stocks that are showing phenomenal relative strength. And if and when the market does finally stop going down, these stocks are going to lead us out. So before we show this chart on, Josh, what do you think, what do you think, uh, what stocks do you think are showing the best relative strength in terms of sectors? I don't know if you're looking at the chart or not, but assuming you're I'm looking you're not, at it, but I, uh, I, I would have guessed the first, I would have guessed the first sector, not the second. Okay, so chart on, please. So now this is probably skewed because- there's more tech stocks in the S&P than there are, say, utility stocks. But nevertheless, uh, financials really surprised me. It, that's not banks. That's got, it's not. That's, it's MasterCard and Visa. It's insurance, it's insurance companies or credit cards, I was going to guess. Yeah. So okay. there's fi- there was 57 stocks. So 10%, just over 10% of the S&P 500 is within 5% of a 52-week high. And okay. again, it's technology, which is probably not surprising. That is the surprising. VIP list. That Probably is like not the surprising. best stocks. Yeah, so yeah, here yeah. we go. So uh, Arch Capital Group and Arthur Gallagher, uh, yeah, which Gallagher. are both insurance companies. Then right. you've got Akamai uh, and Ariston Networks. You've got Activision. I sold. Uh, I sold the rest of the networks uh, too too early. I got. I got. I got panicked out of it. That thing's going higher. Interestingly, A- A-N-E-T. Yeah. Costco and Walmart. Uh, yeah. Apparently, they're kicking the shit out of Target. So let's, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about that in a second, but let's, let's go to mystery chart. Uh, no, you you go first. My turn. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, so many choices, so many things to make the case for. This is, uh, as I mentioned last time, it's not, it's not exciting making the case for anything when the NASDAQ's up 45% through July. I was trying to make the case to chill out, but here we are. So defensive names have gotten rightfully, but too much annihilation. So it was a, this from sentiment trader. Uh, internal destruction among the most defensive stocks. This was a combination of these stocks are highly sensitive to interest rates, both in terms of debt loads and the way that investors position these stocks versus bonds. And they pay dividends. And then the other part of it that I think is completely, completely overdone and is giving a huge gift to debt buyers is the Ozempic thing. I totally agree. I just don't buy it. I mean, it's a great story. I just don't buy that that the country's going to not be fat and that we're so, going to not Ozempic, eat chocolate and sugar. This, this Ozempic reason to knock $30 billion off the market cap it's crazy. Of, of a consumer packaged foods company that's been around for eight decades is horse hockey. Uh, actually, 
actually, if you listen to uh, if you listen to the podcast version of the show, I talked with the Barron's reporter Jacob Sunshine about Pepsi specifically, which reported earnings today. That's great earnings. Raise great guidance. And Ozempic kissed my ass. That stock crashed going into the earnings. And yeah. then they had great, and then they had great earnings. Had a really nice move in the stock, uh, but anyway, I, I still think there's there's an opportunity in in some of these names. So uh, if you do listen to the podcast version, which we'll post tonight, you'll hear me and Jacob talking about it. Uh, wait, 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 right, I'm not so done. I, you, I've just, I've only just begun. Okay, so I I could have picked anything. Uh, Coca Cola. I mean, there's a million. Campbell's soup. I mean, there's a million. All right, so uh, what, I, make the case. I picked Harshly. I, I picked Harshly. Look at you. So, so this is the rolling 90-day returns of Hershey minus the S&P 500. And the only time that it had a worst time relative to the market was in the run-up to the dot-com bubble. And that's just because the S&P probably went up you know, 50% and left this boring chocolate company in its dust. Uh, the company, all it does is raise dividends. Next chart, please. This is not a high dividend paying company. I think it yields just over no, two. They just consistently, they consistently grow the dividend though. Yeah. Uh, next chart. I think it's one of the best. Com- I think it's one of the best companies in the history of America. It's just Hershey. Hershey's Hershey. You got the revenue. Yeah. Listen, this is not a high flyer. This is not a growth company, but it's steady Eddie. You got you got the revenue growing. You've got the free cash flow growing. You've got steady margins, and the stock got absolutely bushwhacked because Mr. Beast is going to put it out of business with along with with uh, Ozempic. I just don't buy it. This stop, is a gift. Stop. Ridiculous. Right. Um, let's see what else. Okay. That being said, oh. I don't own, I don't own the stock, but just saying. Yeah, I don't own any of these consumer staples, but I'm going to probably buy one. Uh, and I don't believe I don't believe I don't believe any of this narrative that. There's going to be 100 million people on Ozempic next year, and these companies will all miss their earnings. It's just not It's just not reality. Uh, all right, let's do the mystery chart, and then we'll send everyone on their way. I'm rooting for you tonight, big guy. John, if you please. Son of a bitch. All right, what do okay. we got? We, I see a chart. I this see lines. In, okay, stop. This is an index ETF, and I left the dates up. And we don't have all night, so say something. Well, I thought you were okay. It's an index ETF. Yeah, okay. It's, it's an in, it's an index. Look at you! Look at you! I told you you have a beautiful mind. Look at this beautiful son of a bitch. Put the put the ticker on there. Drum roll. Da-da-da. Give it to me. All right. Look at you. Here's right, what I want. Yeah, Go ahead, right on got? right on time. <laughs> Here's what I want to say about this. It is unbelievable how bad. This segment of the market has been since January 1st, 2021. It is hugely negative in absolute terms. Um, I think it I think it started January of 2021 a little bit under this is the IWM ETF, a little bit under 200 and now it's at 175. And that is in the context of look, we we've had some rocky markets, but the S&P just looks so much better. It has just been horrible. Having a small cap tilt, having a small cap overweight, or you know whatever the case may be, it's just been like torture. You get all the volatility and none of the upside. It's really amazing. Uh, I don't know what changes that dynamic, but that's that's the reality right now. Yeah, yeah, it's been tough. Been tough. All right, great job, Michael. Michael got the mystery chart on the first guest. Uh, first guest, very proud. Hey everyone. Hey, I love when you do that. Speaking of guests. <laughs> We're running out of guest spots for uh, Charlotte, are we not? Oh, we should say, yeah, we should say something. There's, uh, what did she say? How many left? 10? 13. It was 13. not a lot. All right. There are 13 tickets left for the live uh, Compound and Friends episode we're taping in Charlotte. 
It's going to be an unbelievable night. Food and drinks on the house. And all the proceeds go to charity. I think Nicole is going to drop the link into the chat or we put it in the description or something. Uh, anyway, snag one of those last few seats if you're going to be in the Charlotte area. Link in description, Nicole says. Great. Okay, uh, tomorrow is Wednesday, so you know what that means. Brand new episode of my favorite podcast, Michael and Ben, starring in Animal Spirits. And we'll do Ask the Compound on Thursday. Get your questions in. Ask the Compound show at gmail.com. And then at the end of the week, another all-new Compound and Friends. We got it all? You waving? All right. Good night, everybody. Okay. I'm here with Jacob Sunshine. Jacob writes for Barron's. You contribute to the trader column at Barron's. Do I have that right? Correct. Okay. I read all your bylines. You do really great stuff. And I wanted to talk to you about something you wrote, I guess, last week about the sell-off in shares of Pepsi. And the bigger story, which is that there seems to be this weird thing going on with a lot of the consumer packaged goods companies, a lot of the food companies where uh, management is talking about Ozempic and Wegovy and all of the uh, weight loss drugs. And I can't tell if they're just like blaming that phenomenon for missing earnings or if maybe there's even more to the story. So I want to start with Pepsi and just to give the listeners a little bit of context of, of what's been going on here. This stock has been an absolute freefall. It made a high back in May of this year. The stock hit uh, about 196. It is now 159. Uh, had a huge drop last week. It's about a $219 billion market cap down from, oh, I don't know, let's say $270 billion back in May. And the stock is about 19% off of that level. What do you think is going on here? Yeah, I think it's a few things. So one thing that I find really interesting is that if you, if you start by looking at what consumer staples have done uh, for the year, you know, you got staples down about eight, but I mean, staples are down low double digits since, since a peak in May, and then Pepsi down just a little bit more than that, um, obviously reflecting some of the Ozempic issue. But if we start, like I start with the fact that Staples have been sold this year uh, because the economy is held in fine and people want other stocks. So what does that mean? It means that Pepsi has only underperformed consumer staples by a few percentage points. So first of all, I think the market can see the issue is not that bad, but you can see that little nosedive in Pepsi in the last few weeks. So why is it underperforming a little bit? Why is there this little nosedive in the last few weeks? And I think it's because Obviously, with Ozempic, you have the potential for maybe that and other weight loss solutions that are that are growing globally um, reduces the appetite for addictive foods. People are going to be concerned about a Coke or a Pepsi, even Domino's, even McDonald's. I think this is more of an opportunity to lean into Pepsi or Coke as an investor, um, because I'm going to give a couple key things that I really would want to start with when I look at these two companies. Ozempic, you're looking at just over $15 billion of Ozempic sales next year. That's facts at consensus for uh, Novo Nordisk. If I look at the price that those are sell, uh, sold at, um, forgetting about reimbursement for a second, um, it's a little under $1,000. Um, it obviously changes a little bit. You're talking about probably less than 20 million people that are taking Ozempic, and it's growing, 
but you're not even getting close to 100 million human beings taking this in the, in the next few years. And when I look at Pepsi sales, Coke sales at like roughly $100 billion in total for, for next year, they have billions of people every year buying their stuff. And you're talking about a few million people throughout the globe taking this. And so before we even, you and I will get into the business and CP, the consumer packaged goods business, but right now we're talking about really small beans in terms of the number of people that would reduce their reliance on eating Pepsi and Coke snacks and beverages. Yeah, so I think the the impact currently is probably very small and maybe doesn't exist at all, to your point. Uh, but maybe what's really going on here is a re-rating of all of these companies, quite frankly, because of what the potential risk is. Uh, is a survey, they, they surveyed 300 people who are currently taking these semaglutide weight loss drugs, and they found that the caloric intake was reduced by between 20 and 30%. They surveyed people and they found like across the board, the first thing that happens is that they're going to fast food restaurants less and they're they're dropping the amount of snacking that they're doing. And that hits a company like Pepsi, like literally right on the top line, which ultimately filters through to the bottom line. And I think about one in five American adults is obese. So if you get these drugs approved as not just a diabetes uh, treatment, but an obesity treatment, which is very likely in the fourth quarter of this year, that could potentially be a game changer for all of these companies. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's what we're really seeing is it's just people preparing for that. And so, by the way, I think like you and I are focusing on Pepsi because- Well, it's food and food and soda. <laughs> it's exactly. It's like everything right. addictive. And, and of right. course, like, we can talk about how they bought bare fruit and they have all this other stuff that they're buying that's healthier um, that I'm talking about acquisitions that the company has made. But I mean, I'm sure you've noticed um, Domino's pizza got hit way harder than Pepsi. And we can talk yeah. about Coke, Coke and Pepsi, we'll, you know, whatever you want to talk about. But like Domino's, I think the issue with with the whole space, fast food plus consumer packaged, good, packaged goods, I think the issue is probably worse for McDonald's. Um, maybe McDonald's, but Domino's, um, Yum Brands, McDonald's did get hit, um, QSR, uh, restaurant, so that's Restaurant Brands International. I think the issue is probably a little bit worse for them. QSR is uh, Burger King, right? Yeah, Burger King and um, and Hortons, DR Hortons. Tim Hortons, right. Donuts. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, the home builder. Yeah. I think the issue is probably worse for those guys because I mean, if I'm Domino's, the the majority of what they sell is like pizza and fried chicken and like stuff stuff that uh, I don't know stuff that I like, but some people will reduce their their buying of all that. But um, I think you just mentioned a re okay, you just mentioned a valuation re rating for fast food and CPG, and any technician will tell you um, you see a nosedive like this and you see underperformance like this, you have to respect it. It means something, but I I, I do think so. I, I think that maybe there will be a um, valuation overhang for CPG, Domino's, McDonald's, Yum Brands, a whole host of stocks that will remain. The question is, if you if you want to buy something as an investor, do you think you're getting a reasonable price um, for uh, for a good business that can grow? I think with Pepsi, when I look at Pepsi specifically, and I think Coca Cola is very similar. I I think that as you and I covered a second ago, the issue is very small beans compared to the size of these companies. Um, and the number of people that are taking these things. 
And I think the second thing is there's a layer of defense because even if even if this becomes problematic for Fritos or for you know some of the Gatorade that Pepsi sells that isn't zero sugar, that has 100 calories or whatever it is, um, Pepsi has a bunch of assets working uh, to, to its advantage. First of all, the fact that they generate so much cash flow every year and they, you know, even though they have to have some debt, they still have a pretty clean balance sheet. They have a lot of cash. They can always make acquisitions that they need to make. They've historically done that. Um, they're just portfolio builders. Of course, a company can get too big sometimes. I don't think that's a, a risk in a simple business like CPG. Um, they bought bare fruit. Um, they're able to do all those things. I think the other thing is when they want to tweak their products to make them less addictive, um, taking caffeine out of some Sierra Mistrix, um, doing zero sugar, building out the right products within water um, that aren't even soda or chips to start with. So you think they could they could pivot away from just sugar and uh, and uh, chips and you know the stuff that they've. I mean, it's going to be hard to replace. If if that's if there's a significant fall off in the stuff that they're good at, it's going to be hard to replace with more natural foods or waters. And I don't. I hope I'm not getting too bullish, but I yeah. or, or naive. But I think that the, these management teams, Coke and Pepsi, are they're pretty good. Like I think they're pretty good at navigating the right products, yeah. and they're going to start the process early. And if you want to take a bare case for the addictive sugar salt stuff. And, and put those sales into secular decline, you're just going to bring the healthier stuff into secular growth. And the, the total sales growth is going to be good. And they have longstanding distribution deals and they, they sell in a million different channels throughout the world. And they'll figure out how to market products um, to get people that are buying unhealthy stuff today to buy the healthier stuff tomorrow. By the time this comes out, uh, Pepsi will have already reported earnings. They'll report uh, Tuesday morning, and uh, you know one of the one of the issues here is that they you know they they've done a very good job with price and making sure that throughout this inflationary period, you know they're they're keeping pace with how much they can charge. Um, but one of the issues is volume growth, and they have to balance both of those things into twenty twenty four. You mentioned analysts are looking for sales growth about 6% to $23.4 billion uh, in Q3. Operating margins should rise by about a tenth of a percent to 16.4%. That should help earnings per share rise about 9%. So assuming they can do that and you've gotten this huge sell-off in the stock going into it, it's it's kind of a good – even if the earnings end up you know slightly disappointing and there's a little bit more of a sell-off – you kind of you kind of have taken a lot of the risk out of the name going into this number. Yeah, so I think a few things. So first of all, you know, um, I'll start with the valuation and, and then and then the earnings. But you know, Pepsi is now at about twenty times forward uh, uh, price earnings. I don't know how technical your you know our our listeners uh, like to get, but you know, we're talking about roughly twenty times forward PE, and the S and P is roughly eighteen times. Um, so that's a premium over the S&P that is slimmer than uh, Pepsi uh, usually trades. And Coke, Coke has traded the same way the last few weeks. And so, you know, if you're really, if you're really bearish, then at some point you'll expect that there are going to be moments where, where these stocks trade at a discount. But I, I think that they're trading at a pretty slim premium. Um, and if you can, if you are confident 
that you're that we can be that you're talking about three to four to five percent top line growth over over the over the years. Um, you know, I think this year there's a lot of pricing and not a lot of volume um, because of inflation. I think Pepsi will be pretty good at taking down the pricing as the inflationary environment settles down a little bit over the next few years. I think that that will naturally support volumes. And I'm not even that worried about volumes because there's a lot of shipment data that I that you get from uh, analysts, uh, the Goldman analysts, um, showing that sh- shipments um, for, for some of the geographic segments have been up a little bit year over year, even with prices up. So I think that like there's still pretty good demand for these products specifically from Pepsi. So if Pepsi wants to relax a little bit on pricing next year, they're going to get some volume. I don't, I, I, I was a little bit surprised to see that they wouldn't get a lot of operating leverage out of that and not a lot of margin expansion. But over time, um, when they're, when they have years where they can grow five, 6% top line, maybe a little bit more, they'll get a little bit of operating leverage. Um, you got to see what happens to gross margins and cost inflation and then the macro environment. And then they're going to buy back stock because they're so free cash flow generative and they don't have that much debt relative to their profits. Um, and I, I think like, I think that you can bank on high single digits, give or take EPS growth sustained over the years. And if you want to pay 20 times for that, um, for a very high quality company and historically Pepsi can trade at a big premium to the S and P, I think that's a pretty good idea for somebody that wants a defensive stock. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Pepsi historically does trade at a at a premium uh, to the market, and with good reason. It's one of the best operators. Um, it's a it's an enduring franchise. The company has weathered all sorts of economic environments, and uh, they've always found a way to grow. And I think they've earned that premium. But that premium is now lower than what it's been historically, and you're not paying up as much for such a dominant franchise. And I think that's maybe the opportunity here. Here's the question I have for you, because I, I, I always think about if you're going to get significant downside on the broader market, on the S&P 500 for, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's a, a next few months thing or the next few years that, you know, you're not going to get a great market um, with, with the S&P at 18 times when, you know, usually when you have a 10-year yield close to 5%, the S&P is not at 18 times. It can be 13, 14, 15 times. Yeah. You know, even if Pepsi and Coke traded a sizable discount to where the S&P quote unquote should be, um, that could destroy your stock returns a little bit. But I think I'm okay with Pepsi at 20 times, not a huge premium to the current 18 times for the S&P. And again, with my confidence in earnings and cash flow, my dividend payment grows. My total return is definitely double digits in this scenario that we lay out. Um, I'm okay buying Pepsi at 20 times, even when the market's at 18 times. But I, I want to know, like, does, is Josh, when you're looking at defensive stocks, <laughs> you're looking at the S&P at 18 times, is Josh worried about any stock that's, that's expensive relative to the market? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I think you pointed out it's a 9% uh, valuation premium to the S and P right now, but then you think about its its typical premium. It looks more like forty percent. Uh, you know, so so it, this is not this is not a stock that you should be waiting for to get at a big discount to the S and P. If you get it even close to where the overall market's valuation is, a there's probably a reason. We know what the reason is. The market is killing these stocks since the spring because recession has looked unlikely uh, increasingly and nobody wants defense. Okay, I get, I buy that story. 
The question becomes like, if the economy slips next year, um, does the consumer radically deviate from what they've historically done, which is continue to go to the supermarket and buy Pepsi and Frito-Lay products? Probably not. So I feel like I, I feel like I agree with you and the stock probably holds up. So it's definitely on my radar. I just want to say thank you uh, for dropping in, letting us know what's going on with it. Uh, where could people read more of your stuff? Jacob Sun and Shine uh, on Barron's. You, you're, uh, you're on social. What are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the last name is S-O-N-E-N-S-H-I-N-E. Those are all N's as in New York. I say it because I don't know. I guess I'm from. I, I mean, I you got a lot I, of N's in your name. True. I, exactly. Um, so that's the, the byline. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I'm very um, active on LinkedIn. Okay. I know that I should do X slash Twitter more. People tell me that I should. No, you shouldn't. Do it as little as possible. Okay. Because <laughs> it's I don't like I don't like the zoo vibe on the platform. I like. Yeah, dude. Preserve the sanctity of your of your day. Stay out of there. All right. So we're gonna have everyone follow you on LinkedIn, and of course, subscribe to Barons to read Jacob. How how often are you writing? You two three times a week. Um, I'm probably doing a piece on average, uh, five well, five pieces a week. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much, Jacob. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was it was fun. Whether you're just getting started as an investor or you're managing a multi-million dollar portfolio, Ritholtz Wealth Management has the solution for you. It all starts with building the right financial plan. To speak with a certified financial planner today, visit RitholtzWealth.com. Don't forget to check us out at YouTube.com slash The Compound RWM. Make sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. If you love investing podcasts, Check out Michael and Ben every Wednesday morning on Animal Spirits. Thanks for listening. Ritholtz Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Ritholtz Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as and may not be used in connection with an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy or hold an interest in any security or an investment product. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risk and possible launch of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Ritholtz Wealth Management unless a client service agreement is in place.